Super good to see you all. Looking amazing. Hey, amazing than those shady people running. I was glad it was raining before. I was like, that'll teach them for ditching church, eh? running in the rain. Hey, so we're carrying on in our, just looking through that um, real cool passage in Philippians chapter 2, um, thinking about the incarnation um, today. And so if you remember, this is kind of a lead up to the Christmas series, which will start in a couple of weeks, right? So just thinking about Jesus Christ being, like last week was all about Jesus Christ being fully God, um, fully divine. And the phrase I kept saying was, um, Jesus is as fully God as the Father and the Holy Spirit are, right? So they're fully equal. And then today we're going to look at the middle passage in that Philippians 2 bit that talks about um, the incarnation. Um, so one of the things, like Jason and I were talking about this week, how it's just impossible to understand the Trinity, right? And I was leading the young adults group on Tuesday night last week, and we were talking a bit about the Trinity, obviously, because that's where we're going. And heaps of them just keep saying, man, you just can't understand the Trinity. It, like, blows your mind, blah, blah, which is cool. And so I used to, as you know, I used to lecture at a Bible college, and I used to lecture on a whole bunch of theology stuff. And often when I'd lecture on the Trinity, I'd get one of three responses from students. So some students would get really angry, which I always thought was hilarious, and they'd get really frustrated that they couldn't understand God which I was always like, that's a good thing. You shouldn't understand them. But it was some of those more kind of engineering-y, science-y people that like to have everything listed down. And, they, and I'd have literally students coming up, angry, just wish I, and I'd be like, well, okay, come down. My favorite students were always the ones that just got so excited and just thought the fact that they couldn't understand the Trinity was the coolest thing in the world because it showed them how amazing God was. And so most of the students were that 18 to 26, and so... No disrespect to anyone in the 1826, but you guys are weird, right? And so I'd literally have students at the end of a lecture just stand up and be like, I'm so excited, I don't get the Trinity, and scream, and then go running out of the lecture room and run around the campus like screaming and stuff. It was really cool. Um, and then the last group were the ones that were just super overwhelmed, right? And often at the end of a lecture, you'd be walking off to have lunch or morning tea, and, and a student would just come up and be like, they just needed to pause and kind of pray, <laughs> because the more we understand about the divinity of God and the incarnation like we're going to talk about today, the more I think we just become overwhelmed by that reality, right? And so everyone's really different, right? Um, one of the things I want to think about this morning a bit is the why of it. Why the incarnation? So not why did we need it, because we need it because last time we checked, all of us are sinners and pretty disastrous without Jesus. Um, but it's why would Jesus do this, right? So what does he get out of it? What's the benefit for Jesus um, in the incarnation, right? So that's kind of where we're heading. Um, I've got a few quotes today, so I'm going to start with a quote from um, Origen. So Origen was a, an early Christian philosopher, kind of the early 200s, and this guy Dale is, is um, giving an illustration that Origen gave to talk about the, the kind of the why of the incarnation. So um, let me read this. So he said, Origen in the third century had a great analogy. He told of a village with a huge statue, so immense, you couldn't see exactly what it was supposed to represent. Finally, someone miniaturized the statue so one could see the person that honored. Origen said, that is what God did in his son. Paul tells us that Christ is the self-miniaturization of God, the visible icon or image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, which we talked a lot about last week. In Christ, we have God in a comprehensible way. In Christ, we have God's own personal and definitive visit to the planet. I just love this this kind of analogy, right? I, I just want to be careful, though. When he says Christ is the self-miniaturization of God, he's certainly not saying Jesus is less than God in any way, right? So that's that massive thing I talked about last week. Jesus and the Father are equal in their divinity. But I kind of love that. And, and often when I read of, of God in the Old Testament, personally, I find him quite 
separated and, and quite huge and awesome and almighty and, and not that connected to me or caring too much, right? Um, even when you read passages in Hosea and Isaiah and it talks about the closeness of God. But then when you get to the New Testament and you read of Jesus, you, to me, I get the like, oh, it, it, he becomes closer. Does that make sense, eh? So to me, that's a little part of the, the, the incarnation, if you like. Um, I want to read those passages from um, John again. I'm going to read a little bit of what uh, Graham said. So, because in it, it's talking about um, Jesus being fully God. And let, let's go there. So here it is here. So John 14. If you've got your Bible, you need to go there because it's, this is one of the funniest bits in the Bible. So like I said, I have said a bunch of times, the Bible has got some hilarious bits in it. And this, to me, is one of the real funny ones. So Thomas is one of my favorite guys in, in the Bible. Like, a lot of people go, oh, I associate with Paul because he's so amazing and spiritual. And I'm like, totally not me. A lot of people say I associate with Peter because he just gets tacked and flies off the handle and does crazy things like chop people's ears off and stuff. But I connect with Thomas because Thomas is just hilarious, like you'll see in this bit. So really, we only need to read um, 6 to 11, but I need to read um, 1 to 5 just because it's so, to me, it's hilarious. So this is John 14. Um, oh, and I need to apologize. So I mixed up Thomas and Philip last week, and I said that Philip was the one who said, just show us the Father, um, that Thomas was the one who said, show us the Father, but it's Philip. But it's kind of confusing because they kind of change over in the discussion. So I'm kind of, I'm apologizing, but at the same time, I'm like, well, it's an easy mistake. So anyway, I love this. So Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, um, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And I love this bit, right? And you know the way to where I'm going. And this is Thomas, who I love. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And I just love it. He's like, and you see him say this a bunch of times. It's kind of like, Jesus, we literally have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, which makes me go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Because heaps of time when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, now nah, I got nothing. I have no idea. And I need to read commentaries and, and try and figure it out. I love that, eh? Um, so that's, that's the initi um, initiating the question, as Graham said before. And then so Jesus responds about this way. What is the, the way to, to the Father? Um, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. Um, how do we get to the Father, Thomas is saying? I'm so lost. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you'd know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then this is where Philip says that But Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Then we'll be satisfied. Now, you've got to remember, they're Jewish. So they've, they're thinking Old Testament, right? So they're still wrestling with this whole trinity. Is Jesus really God? So their whole thing is default, defaulting back to the Old Testament going, we just need to see the Father. We need to see Yahweh. That's who we need. If we can just... Just show him, reveal him, and, right? And that, does it make sense? That's your thinking? You with me, eh? And then Jesus' response, which Graham read so good, I'll just read a little bit of it. Jesus goes, it's like he does this, which I think he does all the time with the disciples because they, like us, they're just Muppets, right? And he says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? And then he, he carries on, talks about how he and the Father are one, right? That's what I was talking about last week, this, this, clear, um, this clear message right through the New Testament that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is as divine as the Father is, right? So I love that. Hey, so here's the passage we're going to be looking at today. Let me read it again. Um, so this is that, that bit, Philippians 7 and 8. So this is in the middle of that really cool theology from 6 to 11. And this is it here. Um, instead, so it's talking about Jesus. He gave up his divine privileges. So if you remember last time, 
Last week, all I was talking about is that Jesus is divine, fully God. And so now there's the change to talk about the incarnation, about Jesus becoming human. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. So I want to just unpack this a little bit, right? A little bit. I felt like last week was super heavy theology. So this time I've gone a little bit lighter. So people don't be like, bro, you're melting our brains. Or God's melting our brains. Okay, so I just got three simple points. Here's the first one. Jesus is fully God, but different, right? Jesus is fully God, um, but a difference. And the difference is the incarnation, right? So the Father didn't add humanity to himself. Uh, The Holy Spirit didn't add humanity to himself. So they're all equal. They're all fully God. But Jesus is fully God, but he's different than the others because of his adding humanity to himself, right? And I want to make sure we see this real clearly. So I put this up in in the ESV. Let me say, so... As I think heaps of you know, there's different uh, intensities of, of Bible translations, if you like. So there's ones like the ESV or the New Revised Standard and stuff, and they work really hard to stay really close to the Greek or the Hebrew, right? So New Testament and Greek, Old Testament and Hebrew. They work really hard to stay close to that, which is great for study, I find, but I find it really hard to read the ESV when I'm doing my own personal time, hanging out with Jesus and stuff. It's just it's a bit... Um, glitchy in its English, because they're trying to stay so close to the original languages. That makes sense, eh? And then there's ones that are like the New Living Translation, or the NIV, or New King James, there's a whole bunch like that, that uh, they still work very hard to stay close to the original language, but they make it a lot more readable. And sometimes I'll read something in the ESV, and I'm like, what? And then I read it in the New Living Translation, NIV, and I'm like, ah, totally makes sense. Then I go back to the ESV, and I'm like, ah, now I can see what you're saying, but they're trying to stay close, right? And then the third kind of group is ones that are called just a paraphrase, right? Still super helpful and awesome. So over here, you'd have the passion translation or the message, those ones like that, right? So just so you know the difference. So often when I'm reading the Bible for myself, I just read it in the New Living, but when I go to study for something, I always jump into the ESV because it's closer, and then go, what is he saying? And jump to the New Living, oh, right, and go back, right? So, so I wanted to chuck um, those verses up in the, the ESV because you see, because they're staying closer to the Greek, there's some key words that Paul uses that comes out real clearly. That was a long explanation of why I did this. All right, so here's it here. And I put the, these two key words in bold, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking the form, same Greek word, right, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And those two words um, form the same word. In Greek, it's morphe, right? And it literally means, it it doesn't mean like um, like. It means it's literally the same thing, right? So if you look at it again, who though he was in the form of God, and it's like Paul saying, though he was totally God, and then you carry on, it's like, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by becoming fully human, and so to me, this is one of the things that we've really got to wrestle with. And Joseph and I were talking about it this week and going, we just find this whole incarnation mind-blowing. And it's like, on one hand, it's like, to me, I'm, I'm kind of happy to wrestle with Jesus being fully divine, but get to a point where I go, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. I don't get Jesus being eternal, no beginning and no end. I, I don't understand. How can you have no beginning? I, I kind of get no end, but no beginning. You have to have a beginning. It doesn't make sense. Are you with me, eh? So how does he do that? How can he be omnipresent? How can you be everywhere at the same time and fully conscious and all that? So I don't get the divinity of Jesus or the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit, but I'm happy to go, 
it's divinity. I don't chuck it aside, right? But when I come to the incarnation, I get even more frustrated because the incarnation to me is even harder to understand because I go, how on earth can Jesus be fully human with all the, the issues of being human, right? But yet he's still fully divine. So how can Jesus be tired and hungry when he is omnipotent, all-powerful? How can Jesus be a fetus in the womb of Mary when he's omnipresent, when he's everywhere? How can he be constrained? And Do you know what I mean? It kind of just makes my brain go, nah. and I, when I think of the divinity, I'm happy to be like, well, we don't understand that. But then I come to this humanity, and I, I can't even get that, and it makes my brain hurt, right? Which I think is a good thing. Um, so the key thing to get is that he's fully human. And I think some people I talk to, some Christians, myself included, sometimes kind of think, well, he was human, but. And it's like, no, 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 you can't go but. He's fully human. Yeah, he's divine, but he's still fully human. Same as us, right? Is Jesus tempted? Yeah, he's totally tempted. And I always joke, like, he'd be walking to the temple, and there's a lady walking past him, and, of course, her dress would go right down to her ankles, not like some of you shady ladies. Um, and she stumbles, and her dress comes up, and he seizes the ankle. Is he tempted to be like, no, he catches himself, right? Like us guys should when we see some amazing person. He's still tempted, but he catches himself. He doesn't follow that temptation to sin. So fully human, tired, hungry, all that kind of stuff. So that's the first, the first thing. Jesus is fully God, but he's different, right? Because he adds to his divinity full humanity, right? Okay, here's the second point. Um, Jesus is fully God, but he gave up his divine privileges. And I put up um, the verse in those two different translations. So in the New Living Translation, he gave up his divine privileges, or in the ESV, which is again trying to stay close to the Greek, um, he emptied himself. So um, this is a pretty massive question. It's like, what on earth does this mean? So you might have heard of a thing called the kenosis theory. I don't know if you're a nerd who studies nerd things. So the Greek word Paul uses for this emptying is this crazy Greek word called kenosis, which literally means to take something you have and kind of hold it aside, right, to empty yourself. So the, honestly, there has been more books written on this whole, what does that mean that Jesus emptied himself? Then if you go to like a nerd library, like at a big Bible college, there's like whole lines of books written on this stuff. So what does this kind of mean? And to me, this is where the New Living Translation makes it really clear. He gave up his divine privileges. So let me explain it, and then I'll give you a, a cheesy illustration. So to explain it, Jesus can't be fully human and still have his full divine attributes at the same time. So he can't be fully human, which means to be tired, to be hungry. It means to be constrained to one place. He can't be that while at the same time still, and, and I'm trying to use careful words because he never decreases his divinity, but at the same time he can't now be omnipresent. He can't be everywhere and still be human. You just can't do that, right? He can't be tired and hungry, but at the same time omnipotent, all-powerful. Are you with me, eh? So what the Bible's saying, and what pretty much everyone now would agree, this whole emptying himself, he gave up his divine privileges, is that to be fully human, Jesus chose not to use a whole aspect of what it means for him to be divine. He's still fully divine. He's still omnipresent, omni da 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 da, da. But he, he constrained it. He said, I'm not going to use that so I can be fully human. Right? But it doesn't decrease his divinity at all. So cheesy illustration. So imagine someone was speaking at a big event, and that person would obviously be a pastor because they're the most important people in the, on the planet. And so who did the louder ha? 
Oh my gosh, I don't know, Olivia, unbelievable. So imagine a pastor was speaking at a big event, I don't know, whatever, and they're speaking at a big event and they turn up and when they turn up, the people are like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry, we don't have a seat for you, we totally spaced it, we want you to still speak, we don't have anywhere for you to sit. So instead of sitting at the main table at the front, would you mind sitting like right at the back? And of course the pastor, being humble and awesome, says, yes, no problem, and takes the small seat at the back and says, right. Um, has the pastor changed in their awesomeness and amazingness? No, they're still an incredible, beautiful pastor, muscly, able to do karate. No, I don't know. You know what I mean, right? It doesn't change the person just because they're now not using what is their right as the speaker, which would be to sit at the main table. Does it make sense, eh? I said it was a bad illustration, right? So it's the same thing with Jesus. And, and to me, this is where the incarnation starts making me just go, oh my gosh, I'm starting, I'm starting to grasp what Paul means in this passage by he humbled himself. Imagine being hungry and tired when you are at the same time omnipresent, omnipotent. Omni- at any time, Jesus could have done anything to stop that. Imagine being constrained to the womb of Mary, which we can't, right? But at the same time, you, you are all-knowing. You are, I mean, the, the, the fullness of Jesus' deity to, to empty himself, that's his phrase, to choose not to use that so that he could be fully us, just like, it overwhelms me. Just overwhelms me. It's his right, right? But he says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't know, it amazes me. But he does it so he can be fully human, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Otherwise, he wouldn't be like us. And we'd be like, eh, you cheated. You don't really get what it's like to be on this horrible, crazy planet. You can't really represent us, which is a key aspect of Jesus being fully human, right? He has to be fully human to represent us before God on the cross to take our punishment, right? It couldn't have been an angel. You guys know that. So he has to be fully human. He can't cheat in any way. Otherwise, his sacrifice on the cross as our representative just wouldn't have worked. You with me, eh? Okay, now... Again, cheesy illustration that we say this all the time. It's like parents when they're playing with one of their kids. They limit themselves to have a good time with their kids, right? So say Eli. I'll pick on Eli just because he has a great beard. If Eli's going to have a running race with Solomon, who's like small, um, Eli's not going to run at Eli's speed because this is going to be stupid. He'll be like, patang, and Solomon's like, well, this stinks. <laughs> Eli's going to... Are you right, Ned? Need a minute. And that's the mum laughing at Eli's running skills. You know what I mean, right? Eli limits himself. It doesn't change who he is. He limits himself. So him and Solomon are like, oh, who's winning? Solomon, oh. And then, of course, Eli lets Solomon win, right? Um, or if Eli's playing a, a board game with one of the kids, right? Same thing. Eli limits himself. So they can have a really cool time playing together. Otherwise, it's just stupid. He just destroys them. <laughs> kids in tears, and then you've created a thing. So Jesus is limiting himself. And that, the reality of that just always completely overwhelms me, Right? <laughs> Now, I need to say this really carefully. I have to say, the difference between a parent holding back in a running race is nothing in comparison to the Son of God, the creator of the universe, choosing not to use the fullnesses of his divinity to live fully human. It's, it's incredible, right? Just incredible. I love that. Um, I got this quote. Now, when you first read this quote, it feels really blasphemous but I'm going to read it twice, and hopefully the second time through you'll get what he's saying, because it's quite a full-on quote about the incarnation, so don't freak out too much when I read it. The incarnation is kind of a vast joke, whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. (laughs) 
until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. We have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. I love that, right? Scandalized means to be horrified, to be shocked at something. So let me read it again. The incarnation is kind of a vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. We have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Um, just with my, my pastor hat on, whatever that means, I just want to say, if you're someone who's never really wrestled with this, you've never pulled out this passage and looked at that John 14 one or John 17 verses 20, 19 and on and, and really wrestled with what does it mean that Jesus is fully God yet fully human and he combined that together. If you've never really wrestled with that, then I, I just need to say you're so missing out. It should be something that when we think of it, we're just like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. This is crazy. This is incredible. And it's such a core of our faith. So if you're sitting here now going, man, I've never really wrestled with that, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you this week, set aside some time and, and just look at these different passages. Just slowly work through this Philippians one. Such a cool one. Jump back over to John 14 where Jesus talks about I and the Father are one, the Father's and, and wrestle with that, that John 17 passage where Jesus talks about the Father. And it's just awesome, right? Awesome. Scandalized. I love that, eh? I love that. Okay, so first of all, Jesus is fully God, but he's different. Second of all, Jesus is fully God, but he gave up his divine privileges, which we now hopefully get, right? And here's the third point. Um, Jesus is fully God, therefore the extent of his humility is just incredible, right? Absolutely incredible. Um, here's that passage again. Um, I'll read it, and then we're going to act this out, which may or may not be amazing. Um, so here's the passage again. Instead, so instead, it's looking back to verse 6, right, which is talking all about his divinity. He's fully God, but <laughs> he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, I know heaps of you know this, but obviously the way Paul's written this is it gets worse and worse and worse as he goes down the passage. You see that, right? He's showing the humility of Christ starts with him becoming human, but then it's this obedience that is leading right down to the crucifixion. You with me, eh? It, it just gets worse. So everyone stand up. It too. It's all stand up. We're going to kind of act this out because I wanted you to make sure you really got this, right? So this... I think this will be amazing, but feel free to just text me afterwards and be like, bro, what are you doing? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to act this out. Everyone put your hand up high. And as I read each line, we're just going to come a bit lower because this is Jesus' full divinity. Now, you've got to remember, he's still always divine. He's always divine, but, and that's the instead, instead he gave up his divine privileges. So just bring your hand down and just stop for a second. Jesus had every right to stay divine and every right to say to you and me, get stuffed. <laughs> You're the one who did the sin. Why on earth should I give up my divine privileges? Why would I do that for you? What do I get out of it, right? He took the humble position of a slave. Drop down a bit. This is the creator of the universe. Why would he take the humble position of a slave? That's just madness, right? Down a bit. He was born as a human being. One of his creation, right? Down a bit. He appeared in human form. Down a bit. He humbled himself in obedience to God. And then go right down to the ground. <laughs> And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Now stop for a second and think where your hand was, right? Full divinity. Now your hand's on the ground. It's like, what? 
I just kind of go, Jesus can't get any lower. Death for the creator of the universe, the divine son of God, because he cares about us. So sit up again, because everyone's looking at me. Ah, just blows me away. I, I love reading that passage, and every time I read it, I do that in my head, lower, lower, lower. This just humility of this incredible creator of the universe, right? I, I just love that, eh? Um, and the why. I always, like I said, I want to come back to the why. Why would Jesus do this? What does he get out of it? What does he really get out of this? And the answer is not a lot because <laughs> he gets us. Um, I, and I always go to this passage over in First John. Um, that should be First John, sorry. It says, um, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God. That's always the classic, right? Not that we love God. Same thing in Romans, enemies of God, right? But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. And it, it, it always comes back to that. What does he get out of it? Nothing, really. He does it out of love. He does it for us. Man, I love that. Okay, I just want to finish with two quotes, and these two quotes are, are real different. The, the first one's real easy. The second one's real grunty, so you're going to have to kind of wrestle with it a bit in your brain. Um, but here's the two quotes. Here's the, the first one. Um, this is Augustine. He was created of a mother whom he created. <laughs> he was carried by hands that he formed. This last phrase is amazing. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute. I love that. Eh? Augustine's an early Christian philosopher from around the 200s. Let me read it again. He was created of a mother whom he created. That always just blows my mind. This is wild. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. Man, I just love that, eh? Um, and here's this last one. This last one's pretty grunty. It's by Jonathan Edwards. So he was a uh, pastor, um, preacher, whatever, back in America in the 1700s. And he's talking as if he's Christ, okay? So when you read this, he's talking as if he's Jesus. And I, I just found this pretty shocking when I read it this week. So let me read this. So this is Jesus speaking. He's pretending to be Jesus, right? Why should I, who have been living from all eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that never can requite me for it? Requite means repay. They can never repay me for it. Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of divine wrath for them who have no love to me and are my enemies. They do not deserve any union with me and never did and never will do anything to recommend themselves to me. I want to read it again because I just find that so powerful. Why should I, who have been living from all eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that never can repay me for it? Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of divine wrath for them who have no love to me and are my enemies? They do not deserve any union with me and never did and never will do anything to recommend themselves to me. Mm. Let me pray. You too, stand up. Let's all stand. thing I love about that last quote though is it's, it's totally true but at the same time it's kind of wrong because Jesus did do it out of love <laughs> and he doesn't say that. <laughs> he seems to in the garden, right? 
he says to the Father, I do not want to do this. This bearing the sin of the world is too much. But, again, remember that obedience we talked about? And Jesus takes our sin, our, our punishment. That should be ours. It just, yeah, overwhelms me. We're remembering who he is, right? Yeah, let, me, let me pray for us. The Almighty God, um, creator of all that we are and all that we see, the reality of the incarnation absolutely overwhelms us. It really does. Yeah, Jesus Christ, uh, second person of the Trinity, the creator of, of all we see, as Paul says repeatedly. Uh, we really are in awe. We're in awe of the crucifixion, um, but we're also in awe of your humility. We don't understand for a second what it was like to constrain your divinity so you could fully live as one of us. Um, we don't understand what it was like for you to, like Paul says in that, to, to be born as a human, to be humbled, 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 obedience, obedience, just through your whole life. Um, thank you that you leave us this amazing example um, of someone who humbles themselves before God. Thank you for the beautiful example of that humility that does inspire us, it does challenge us, but yeah, the reality that you totally get us, I just love that, the reality that when we're tempted, when we sin, when we mess up, you totally know what that was like for us to be struggling on this planet. You know loss, um, you know backstabbing from friends. You know, constant accusations and challenges and abuse from people. You really get the fullness of what it means to be human. I thank you for not coming as the God-man, tiny M-A-N, but you really are fully human. You get us. When we call out to you in frustration, we call out to you in desperation, you don't just understand us academically, you understand us experientially because you are us. Yeah, again, I, I pray for folks in our community who are just really struggling um, mentally, emotionally at the moment. Uh, you get that, Jesus. I pray you would be especially close to them today, especially close to them this week. Help them to be reminded again that you really do get them, that you are with them, that you love them, that you will strengthen them, you will encourage them because you are not just human, you are God <laughs> as well. And we thank you for that. Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.